If you'll please turn with me to James. I'm going to start chapter 3 this morning looking at verses 1 to 12. You've probably noticed as we've been going through this, James is an immensely practical book that he likes to get down into the weeds of our lives and start pulling on things. Less concerned with laying out doctrinal truth systematically and more concerned with how that truth plays out in our lives. At the end of chapter 1, he told us what real religion looks like, that it controls our speech, that it cares for the vulnerable, and that it keeps us unstained from the world, that it keeps us holy. These last three weeks, we've been in chapter 2 that kind of focuses on that middle one of how we care for the vulnerable. Now as we turn to chapter 3, there's a little bit of a shift on the focus here to one of those other aspects of real religion, of controlling our speech. He says tongue. Where he said before, at the end of chapter 1, he said, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. So let's hear what God has to say through James this morning. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us this morning. As we look at our speech and our tongues, give us wisdom in how to approach this. Give us spiritual understanding so that we can see what you're saying Change us by your Spirit at work, applying your words to us to make us more like Christ. Help us. We are helpless apart from you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The year after I graduated from college, we were kind of right in the middle of the Great Recession. There weren't a lot of jobs available, so working, I got a job working at a self-serve frozen yogurt shop. So slinging yogurt all day long. And we give out uh, samples, if you've been in one of those places, samples in these like little tiny cups, you know, and you let them try them. 
But one evening, a woman came in, and she asked for a couple samples for her husband, who was out in the car. And I'm always joking around with people, trying to be friendly and make people laugh. And there were a lot of women who would drag their husbands or their boyfriends there who didn't really want to go, but they'd come and they'd get something anyway. And so I assumed that's what was going on. Well, she takes the samples out, and then like five minutes later, which is a long time if you're choosing between two flavors of frozen yogurt, I assume they've just left, you know, changed their mind, didn't want anything. About five minutes later, she comes back in, and she opens the door, and she says, my husband's in a wheelchair. That's why he didn't come in. And she turns and walks out and leaves. In trying to joke around, make her laugh, I put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> Not trying to hurt her, you can see the pain on her face as she comes back in and says something. Even though I'm not intending to. We all do this to some extent, don't we? We say things we maybe shouldn't, or we say them the wrong way, cause hurt or pain, even if we're not trying to. Even if we don't realize the effect that it's having. Other times we say things and we think what we say isn't a big deal. It's just words. But it is a big deal. James isn't ignorant of our condition. And it actually goes deeper than just making a mistake or putting our foot in our mouth. That's what he says in the first couple of verses. He goes from a specific example to argue a more general point. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We'll be judged with greater strictness because we're responsible for others, for those we teach, for those who are in our care, that we're actually showing them how they should be responding, things that they should say, what they should be doing. It's an additional responsibility because it affects others in their growth and in their health. You could think of it like driving when you have a child. Right? When it's just me on the road, I trust myself. I'm good. Whipping in and out. But then you have your first child. We have Lucy. And you feel the weight of this. Maybe I'm the only one who did this, but bringing your first child home from the hospital. You feel the weight of, I'm in charge of another human being. I'm responsible for them. I tell you, I drove slower. I took, I took turns a little softer because I wanted to care for her and protect her because I'm responsible for her. Now, 11 months in, she's fine. She's got a car seat. It'll protect her, right? I don't need to worry about it. <laughs> Just a bad joke. So. Sure, she is less fragile than she was then, but I'm no less responsible. Right, we get used to that responsibility and act like it's not there anymore. Now, most closely to this text, James is talking about preachers in the church, pastors who are teaching God's word. We're responsible for you. God has put you in our care. This is something Dan and I take really seriously as we seek to teach you, as we seek to care for you. This isn't something we take lightly. He says, not many of you should become teachers. Why? For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. When James says stumble, he's kind of using this metaphor for failing or 
falling into sin, to talk about sin. And see how he makes it more broad. He goes from teachers to all of us. It isn't just teachers anymore. We all sin in many ways, but we especially do so with what we say. If anyone doesn't, he's perfect. He can be perfectly disciplined, have perfect self-control, which we know is not the case for us. If we teach, people look at our lives where we do stumble. But we also have more opportunities to say the wrong things, to misrepresent God and neighbor. I'm saying a lot more words up here that you're hearing. If we're in a position where we're leading others, then we have the potential to lead them astray. While James is talking about pastors especially here, it's true for any of us who teach. From every parent here who's teaching their children, who's responsible for raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to anyone who has a role of teaching or leading small groups, youth, whatever, there's a responsibility there. But as he moves on from the specific to the general, he highlights all of our speech. And he's going to show us three characteristics of our speech, or the way he'll talk about it is our tongue. He's going to show us first the power of the tongue, and he's going to show us the problem with the tongue, and then the product of the tongue. Let's look first at the power of the tongue. Look with me at the first two illustrations James uses in verses 3 and 4. It says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Both of these things talk about something that's really small but has power disproportionate to its size. If you're not ever around horses and you just see them on TV, it's easy to forget how massive and how strong these animals really are. They're big. And when I was in high school, I had a friend that had like a horse that was just always in their front yard. I don't know if there was a fence or what, but it would wander around. And when I'd come over, I'm like hoping it's not between me and the house because I don't want to have to deal with it. <laughs> They're huge. They're powerful. They crush me like nothing. Then we put this little bar in its mouth. We can guide these thousand-pound animals around. Just a little piece of metal. Or similarly, ships are big and strong. Winds propel them. But there's this little piece of wood off the back. Back then they were wood. Now they're fiberglass and aluminum. But little piece of wood off the back. Turn it, and it guides the whole thing. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. It's this small part of our body, but it has power disproportionate to its size. That it can and does big things. This cuts both ways. Right? It can do great good, or it can do great harm. Proverbs tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. That our words can build up or they can tear down. And they're always doing one of those two things. Neutrality is a myth. Think about your own life, about the effects words have had on you. 
in shaping who you are today. The confidence or the insecurities that you have. Your ability or your difficulty in accepting love and in loving others. Some of us, by God's grace, were raised in homes and by parents where we heard words of life, where the gospel is proclaimed and where it's put on display by our parents. We hear that, yes, we're sinners. We mess up, we disobey. And yet that doesn't change the fact that our parents love us. And more importantly, it doesn't change the fact that God loves us. That even though we've sinned, we can be forgiven because we're loved. And yet, because as James says, that all of us stumble in many ways and none of us can control the tongue, even if we were blessed to grow up in that situation, we can probably think in our lives back to things that were said that have caused harm, that have hurt us. We're still trying to heal from those things. Others of us have been chipped away at by a thousand criticisms or just verbally abused. Been told that we're not worth anything. No one loves you. No one cares. You're no good. And that affects us deeply. What we want to hear most is, I love you, or I'm proud of you. I didn't talk to Tony, but I'm sure if I talked to Tony, you would hear that all of his cases along the way have words that have been spoken that cause this pain and this harm that we're working through, trying to restore people made in God's image by the gospel. Words are not impotent. Our tongues boast of great things. They affect us and they affect those around us. They so often tear down. But they can also build up. They can give life. They're the big life-changing moments like I do. But there are others. Hopefully we all know this experience of a simple word of encouragement that spurs us on when we're about to give up. It gives direction in our lives. And we need to realize this as we interact with others, that our words have this power. That as we speak to our children, our spouses, our friends, the homeless person that comes up to you asking for money, our words matter. They have power. Are we seeking to use those words to build up or to tear down? Are we speaking words of grace and truth and love? Or are we chipping away at their humanity? The fact that they're made in God's image. We say so many words, we think they're neutral and don't matter so often, but that's not the case. They aren't neutral and they have power. 
How will we use them? James knows the power of the tongue for good and for evil. He also knows the problem with the tongue, its propensity toward evil, and the fact that none of us can tame it. Look with me at the end of verse 5 through verse 7. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. He starts here with a picture that's similar to those first two. Something so small, a small fire, a spark, can spread like wildfire, out of control. Remember the great Chicago fire started with Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicking over a lantern, allegedly. The damage it caused. Or just this year in Alberta, Canada, three wildfires have been started by gender reveal parties (laughs) with the explosive kinds, you know. Something so small can spread and get out of control so quickly. So it is with our words. We can't take them back. We can't control the damage they cause once they're uttered. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It causes so much damage and destruction It's just another part of the body, but it does so much more damage than any other. It says it stains the whole body. The rest of our body is affected by what we say. It sets on fire the entire course of life, the ups and downs. There's not an aspect of our lives that has not been affected by what we say. And often by things we wish we hadn't. And it's set on fire by hell. It's actually something used by Satan to accomplish his purposes. In Matthew, you have like the high point of Jesus' earthly ministry prior to the crucifixion, but with the disciples, where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Right after he says that, Jesus says, here's what it's going to look like for me to do that. I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. So then Peter pulls him to the side and says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's not even necessarily in things that are blatantly wicked. But things that twist the truth. That confuse the truth. Often things that are very close to the truth. That's what the serpent did in the garden, right? It's dangerous because it's so close. 
things that look to this world instead of God. Peter says Jesus will never be killed. But that's exactly why he came. Because he had to die so that we could live. It's things that take away glory and worship from him or that tear down those made in his image. And it always goes back to these two great commands that summarize the whole Old Testament, that summarize the law. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We most often break those commands in our thoughts, which are made up of words unspoken, and then with our tongues. That it's where we formulate our desires, where they fester and grow, where they come together before finding further expression in other actions. And we can't tame it. So James says in verses 7 and 8, humans have tamed all kinds of animals. The categories are kind of the categories from Genesis too. All the created animals. Just look at the circus or at SeaWorld. And it covers the land animals and the sea ones, right? Humans have tamed all kinds of animals, but no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. The tongue is restless. It's always moving. It doesn't really stop. We're always talking. And it can kill. And it can spread disease. We can't tame it. But the thing is that what comes out is really what we think. Have you ever said something and said, I didn't mean that? If you're honest, yes, you did. At least in that moment. You might not have meant to say the quiet part out loud, but you meant it. And sometimes we give ourselves this pass. We blame it on others or the situation. It's the first sin after the fall is blame shifting, right? I know I said that, but I was frustrated. As if frustration is a valid excuse for sin. It's not. Or the kids have been driving me crazy. So I blew up. They made me say it. I wouldn't have if it weren't for them. Your spouse is being a real pain. They made me say what I said. Truth is that no one makes you say anything. It's in those moments that we see what's really here. like squeezing a tube of toothpaste. What comes out is what's on the inside. You can't put it back. In our tongues, we see the depth of our depravity. We see our immense need for Jesus. It's there. It needs to be tamed. It says no human can tame it. So we see the power of the tongue and the problem with the tongue. Next, we see the product of the tongue. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. It says, With it we bless 
our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So James has laid this groundwork now, talking about the tongue. And now he gets to the purpose of why he's really writing this. Apparently there are some in the churches to whom he's writing that are praising God one moment and cursing their brothers and sisters the next. They're praising and saying the right things about God and then putting down those made in God's image. But how can we bless God and then curse His image? It doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't be this way. These things ought not to be so. It's inconsistent. It's divided, as we've talked about in James. As he's after the active faith of an undivided life. It's this division. Look at the illustrations James uses in verses 11 12. It says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Those first two questions are rhetorical. They're not real questions. The answer is no. Of course not. Then he just gives a statement. <laughs> says, a fresh pond can't yield, or a salt pond can't yield fresh water. Just can't. But the product or the produce of your tongue shows who you really are. Which begs the question then, who are you? Or whose are you? God's or the world's? We can't be divided between those two things. To be so is to be double-minded, as we saw in chapter 1. To be unstable in every aspect of our lives. You can't come to church and sing praises to God one minute and say that's who you are, and then we walk out and drive home and curse the bad driver. Or get home this afternoon and criticize or tear down our family. I mean, you can. We do, right? But we shouldn't. We shouldn't be able to. And we shouldn't be okay with it when we do. So what's the solution? Especially if you just told me I can't tame my tongue. No human can tame the tongue. Need to, but I can't. But do I just work at controlling it more? Yes, you should do that. But no, that is not the answer. It starts with looking at our own hearts. Back in verses 3 and 4, with the bits and the horses and the rudders and the ships, there's a third component in both of those. It says, we put the bits in the mouths of the horses to guide it. Or the pilot directs the ship where he wills. We often miss those. The rider and the captain, the one holding the reins are at the wheel. And that's our heart. And it's desires. Jesus said in Matthew 15, he says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. 
For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. It's already in here. We have to deal with our hearts. We actually need new hearts. Hearts that are directed to God and not this world. Hearts that God promised to give us in Ezekiel 36. We have to be made new by the work of Christ on our behalf. By His resurrection that we could live again. And Paul tells us that if anyone is in Christ, that is if they're united to Him by faith, then they're a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. And as we've been made new, we've also been given the Holy Spirit to empower us and to change us. To make us more like Jesus. To do away with the sin in our lives. And to more consistently follow Him. Where no human can tame the tongue, if we are in Christ, we have been given His Spirit who lives in us, who can tame the tongue. Not perfectly in this life until Christ returns, but more and more. If we're in Christ, we have a new heart that no longer must bring sin and hurt. So we can recognize the power of the tongue. That what we say truly affects us and others. That we could be intentional, intentional about speaking words that encourage, that build up, that bring life to our children, to our spouses, to our friends, to whomever. That we wouldn't say things that aren't kind, things that don't need to be said, or things that aren't our business or their business. And we can recognize the problem with the tongue. That we will still say things that we shouldn't. But that we can confess them when we do. That we can acknowledge our faults and ask for forgiveness. That we can recognize our need for Jesus. And our need for the Holy Spirit to work in us, to change us, and to help us. And to show those to whom we're speaking that what we said, though we said it, it's not what we truly believe and that we're sorry. And we can ask for forgiveness. We can begin the healing process. And we can recognize the product of our tongue, that what we say shows what we're actually really believing. That when we fail, we can actually look into our own hearts and see that we're exchanging the truth of the gospel for a lie. And see how we're failing to believe what is true. How we're failing to believe that God perfectly loves us. That we're perfectly safe in Him. That we're not worthless. That we're of great value made in the image of God for whom the God of the universe died. Not worthless. That we're loved that he cares for us and that we're safe 
that a powerful God has us in his grip and will never let us go. We can see that. We can look to him. And by the work of his spirit, applying the gospel to our hearts, we can begin to then tame our tongues. Tongues. 